Yeah, my name is uh, Rudy. Uh, I am one of the elders here at the Rock Church, and uh, it's my privilege to be speaking this morning and carrying on uh, through this series uh, called The Good Life. The Good Life series that Pastor Glenn started, I believe it was about six or seven weeks ago. Uh, Pastor Glenn is, I believe, uh, Janice and, and him, they're back, uh, but they most probably came back late last night from their week away. Uh, I believe they were at Saratoga Beach. So we're trusting that they uh, rested well and that they traveled well and they're most probably watching online. So welcome, Glenn and Janice, as well. And um, yeah, but like I said, we have been in the series, The Good Life which is basically on uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, and looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And it's uh, arguably most, the, the most famous teachings that Jesus gave in His ministry, and widely recognized by philosophers, or even within different religions, um, they would go and some teachings and sayings by Jesus that come out of the Sermon on the Mount. And they would say, yeah, yeah, this is, this is world-class teaching. This is, this is good teaching by this man, Jesus. Okay? Even though they would not profess Jesus to be the Son of God or uh, God incarnate or having died for their sins, this is what many worldviews do. They go and they borrow from Christianity and specifically Jesus, and they, they like to listen to some of the things that Jesus say that they adopt and put into their life and interpret it that fits their worldview. And we, we have a purpose of looking, and, and I've had this purpose looking in this sermon series, at the question, okay, well, what does Jesus teach in the Sermon on the Mount about what it looks like to flourish in life? Hence the title, The Good Life. Because we believe that that Jesus' teachings from the start with the Beatitudes is, uh, when he is teaching through the Beatitudes, those are macarisms, as Glenna taught us, that is about flourishing. It's about what it looks like to, let's say, hashtag be blessed, hashtag to be happy, or hashtag I'm living the dream. Have you heard that before? You know, you're in Squamish, that's a big thing. If you, if you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm living the dream. You know, and you hashtag it there on your social media platform. And, and we're asking the question throughout the series, okay, but what does flourishing really look like according to Jesus? And if, uh, if you're sitting here and you're wondering why on earth we're saying that, why, why is Jesus important for us? Well, the name of our church or, and, and our, our group collectively coming together, we are known as the Rock Church, and that is based off the fact that Jesus is the rock of our salvation. He is the revelation of God given to mankind to come and show us and tell us who God is and what He had done for us by living a perfect life and then dying for humanity on the cross, but not just dying for the sins of the world, but also being resurrected. And so that's important for us as a church that we are all about what Jesus thinks about what it looks like in this life to flourish, because according to Jesus, it is possible to flourish in this life. And what is most important for Jesus is that His hearers and His listeners, not only in that day, but also today, 
we then also understand that true flourishing is about true righteousness. It's about true righteousness that can only come from God. It can only come from the one that is truly holy and righteous. And it cannot be attained by yourself. It cannot be attained by what you do. Hence why Jesus was teaching in Matthew 5 that He came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill all righteousness. He came to fulfill it perfectly according to God's standard so that those who put their faith in Him will receive that righteousness. And He does that because in that specific context, there were two main views. There was the Jewish view that righteousness could be gained by fulfilling the law, keeping God's law. The Pharisees were preaching and teaching this, and they were trying to portray this image that they could do it. But on the Greco-Roman side, there was this worldview that, okay, you could gain a kind of like a righteousness through knowledge, Gnosticism, but then also together with that mix in your polytheistic um, religion, where you would have to make sacrifices to the deity so that you would be blessed and so that you would flourish. And it's not much different than our worldview today. We still do the same because both those worldviews, if you go and investigate it, it's all about you. The onus is on you. It's about how good you are. If you're not being blessed, if you're not being hashtag blessed, it's because you have done something wrong. Or you're not fulfilling the law perfectly. Or you haven't paid your dues. And today, the dominant worldview in our culture is, of course, secularism or secular humanism. And it's a crushing worldview because it's all about what you do and your happiness and your blessedness, your hashtag Living the dream is all dependent on you. It's all dependent on seeking the answer within you, finding the right place to be with the right job. It's the perfect life. It is that portrait and picture we put up on our social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. And it is about that. And, and showing something that looks like, okay, I'm flourishing. I'm flourishing. And so... The purpose of, of looking at Jesus' teaching today is to then ask that question, okay, Jesus, so what does true righteousness look like? What does true flourishing look like then if I'm truly a lover of God, if I'm truly looking to please Him above my own desires? And so we're starting off with chapter 6 in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew. So, just to start us off to say that what Jesus is, is moving from here and what He did in chapter 5 was starting us off with the Beatitudes, the Macarisms, the flourishings, ways that you could flourish. And then He brings it back to the law. He says He came to fulfill the law. The law is not going to disappear until everything has been fulfilled. And then... He basically points out in various areas of life how the Pharisees fall short of trying to fulfill the law and each and every person. He points it out through saying that, okay, if, you just, if you're just angry with your brother or sister, you are guilty of murder. If you just look at another person in lust, you are guilty of adultery. 
And so he ties it very closely, righteousness to, of course, not just about what you do, but what you think and what is happening in your soul. But then he moves it in, in chapter 6 into different practices that will be fruits of true righteousness. Practices that are very dear to God's heart. Which, of course, the religious people of the day started to neglect. And so, we're going to read the start of, of Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4, and look at this aspect of the life of a person that loves and trusts Jesus and what that should look like and what Jesus commands us. And then we're going to unpack it to see how that helps us to flourish in God's kingdom. So if you could put that up, Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let us just pray before we unpack this. Yeah, Father, we just thank you for a new day. We thank you for your mercies that are new every day. Thank you for your grace that is available for us in Jesus. And Father, thank you that you gave us Jesus. The Word became flesh and that we can trust in your words. But we come and ask, Holy Spirit, come and, come and speak your words now to our hearts. And Lord, come and, and lead us and show us. Show us your will and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So, your sermon title this morning is The Power of the Secret Giver. And we're going to move through three observations that I want to highlight for us. The first one, the motive for giving. Second one, the assumption of giving. And the third one, the secret of giving. We like doing three-point sermons here at the Rock Church. <laughs> Even though lately Glenn denies it. He's like, every time, no, we don't normally do three-point sermons. But since I've come to the Rock Church, we've done a lot of three-point sermons. Okay. I hope Glenn is having a chuckle there at home about that. Okay, the first one that I want to highlight for us this morning is the motive for giving. And I want to start off with this question uh, and an example out of my life. And maybe you can relate to this. How many of you have lately been confronted with giving in this kind of way? Maybe you hear the doorbell ring or knock at the door. And there is a young man that has come here from the low mainland. He is sweating. He's been walking up and down the streets. He is representing UNICEF or World Vision or Food for the Hungry. And he is looking for people who would like to donate 
to this cause. It's a humanitarian cause. There's maybe a war somewhere and they need donors. Or maybe it's in the context of you receiving a phone call. And the person on the other line is an agent for humanitarian organization. They want to find out if you're willing to support this child in this distant country where they're living in a village. They do not have clean water. They do not have uh, food supply. There is a famine. Or just here locally in Squamish, you enter Save on Foods. And as you enter the door, there sits two Young children, they're at a a table and they've got their, uh, let's say, a container, a see-through container, and you see all the $20, $50, $100 bills in there, and they are raising funds for a local cause, or maybe it's for helping hands, uh, breast cancer. It depends. There are different scenarios where we come across these kinds of uh, decision-making times, and I was thinking about this, and maybe you can relate to me. Maybe it's just me. But in that moment, there are a couple of thoughts that run through my mind. If it's someone who's knocking at the door or phoning me, in, in my immediate reaction is, I wonder if this is legit. I wonder if this person is, is, is really who they say they are. And so I, while I'm listening to a young person who's trying to tell me what they're doing, trying to get donors, I'm in my mind looking at his shoes, his clothes. I'm looking at... at uh, at his name and everything, and I'm figuring out, is this, does he look like he's really working for UNICEF? Okay? Or what he's saying he's doing. And that's happening in my mind. I'm, I'm making that judgment because I'm like, I don't want to get involved or sign up here with my credit card, and then the next day, boom, $10,000. Not even, well, that's if I have a, that kind of a credit limit, okay? But it's gone. Okay? <laughs> okay? Like these days, woo, 10000 would be a lot. Okay? But that's kind of like my initial reaction. Or if it's uh, at Save on Foods, uh, let's say, for example, I'm there in line to pay for my goods and the total comes to $159.10 and the teller says, hey, sir, do you want to round up to $160 and donate 90 cents to BC Children's? In that moment, there's also, if I'm perfectly honest, a bit of a, for a split second, I'm thinking, I wonder what the other people behind me are going to think if I say no. Okay? Or I'm thinking, this is an opportunity to actually demonstrate I truly am a Christian. Okay? There's, there's a, a split second where I'm thinking about what is the other person thinking? What are people thinking when they watch me take out a bill and I put it in somewhere? Okay. Now, it might just be me. And, you know, I'm, I'm uh, listening and reading through a book called When Narcissism Comes to Church. A scary, scary literature and research being done on how narcissistic we are, and especially within the church. But if I'm perfectly honest, there is a, a, some characteristics and tendencies and ways that I'm thinking that I relate to that kind of like thinking of my, there's a detachment between what I'm going to do, and really my motive and my heart. Like there's, there's for a split second uh, an attention to self that I'm seeking, if I'm honest. And I, I think Jesus is, is hitting at this, and he knows that the default mode of the heart is to 
seek attention to self. We want to draw attention to ourselves. Whether it is to promote an image that is better than it's really happening, or we are looking for attention because life is really sucky, and I'm looking for pity, I'm looking for attention. And if that was not the case, then I I want to tell you social media would not be as successful as it is today. Because listen, to be honest, um, you got to be very, this is just my opinion, because I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Trying to post my breakfast eggs and everything with my perfect view. I have the perfect latte. Um, And there are so many times that you can do that. And then every time my brain doesn't get the dopamine hit because I go and look at the likes and I'm like, what? Only nine. What the? Is no one interested in what I'm eating? (laughs) And so I have to be honest and say, what is the purpose of what I'm trying to do? And, And when it comes to giving, Jesus is drawing attention to this fact that we need to be aware of where our hearts are at because that is what he's interested in. He's interested in what is your motivation He knows we, our default mode is that even when we want to try and practice our righteousness, we have to be aware that there is the side of us that it's, we want to make it about us. He says this, if you can put it up there, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he's, he's talking about this practice of righteousness, and he, and he relates it, he brings to the front what it is, what it is that he is talking about. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So it's about this specific aspect of giving to the needy, giving to the poor. Now, an observation here, Jesus is not warning them that they shouldn't practice their righteousness before others. Because it is clear, out of Matthew 5, verse 16, that we are supposed to do that. Our lives need to be lives that reflect the glory of God. We need to be salt and light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said this in Matthew 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So clearly Jesus is not against us practicing our righteousness in front of others, but what he is against us is practicing righteousness that is focused on the self. In other words, self-righteousness. It's about promoting you and not God. You see, Jesus' desire is to see that those who trust and follow him, that they will produce fruits of righteousness, righteous acts. But it is all for this one purpose, so that they will have an opportunity to give God the glory. There's a YouTube video I watched. I wanted to use it. Decided not to, but it's about this guy who's, you know, secretively someone is filming him. And how in a uh, shopping or in a supermarket, he is at the the counter and, and folks come up to pay for the food. And then he's just sneaking up behind them. And as soon as he hears what the total of their bill is, it just quickly says, or he slips in a $100 bill or a $50 bill, and he goes off and he says, your bill is paid, God is good. And then he runs off. <laughs> and then the people are like, what just happened? <laughs> but it's interesting, 
if you watch the video, there are a couple of people. There's this one lady. She's like, God is excellent, right? Like she is, she's in that moment. She's like, yeah, amen, okay? But it's kind of like this picture of what God wants us to do with this act of righteousness when it comes to giving to the, the poor and to the needy, that we should be doing that out of a place of yes, testifying about our reason. It is about God being so good, God being gracious to us. And that giving the opportunity for the gospel, that giving the opportunity so that we can tell people who Jesus is. And Jesus says that, hey, listen, because it's about reward. If it's not going to be about God, you will receive your reward here on earth. You will be praised by people. If you put up all of these things, maybe on your social media platform or go around telling people what you're doing for that purpose to draw attention to self, you will receive a reward. But you will receive zero reward one day when the Father stands before you because there was a big disconnect. It's that situation where it's always a scary passage where Jesus says, listen, at the day of judgment, many are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, that we not cast out demons in your name, that we not heal the sick, that we not sell everything, give our, our stuff away to the poor. And Jesus says this, depart from me, for I never knew you. And so that is what Jesus is saying. He says, listen, even though you might have a hundred to a thousand likes for all of your efforts, all of your social justice efforts, all of your awareness about inequality, racism, whatever the social justice cause is, or trying to help people, if it's not being done for the glory of God, you're missing it. You're missing the purpose. And so that is the first thing that Jesus wants to help us see here and investigate. Don't go sounding a trumpet. Don't advertise it. Now, second observation that I want to highlight for us is, have a look at verses 2 and 3. The assumption of giving. Jesus uses the word when. When you give to the needy. When you give. He doesn't say, listen, if you give to the needy. He doesn't say, if you feel like giving to the needy. He doesn't say, when you can afford giving to the needy. But it is an expectation that this is a given. This is part of the life of someone who is a lover of God and a lover of people. Now, I want to say that it kind of like makes sense because Jesus made the point in Matthew 5 that None of what God had put in place from start to finish will disappear until everything is fulfilled. First and foremost, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that is the fulfillment, but not the, it's already, but not yet the final fulfillment of seeing Jesus face to face. Okay? So up until the point that we see Jesus face to face, God's standard for living is the same. His moral standard. Okay? So when Jesus is saying this, when, he's basing it off of the fact that this was the standard from the start of creation. Even before the Ten Commandments and the whole Torah, the law was given to Moses. And I quickly wanted to share with you what that looks like. 
In the Bible from the start, we have examples of giving. The first example, I don't have it up there. You can make a note of this. It's called first fruits. How many of you have heard of that? First fruits. Now, first fruits was this concept that we get out of Genesis 4. And in Genesis 4, you have Adam and Eve, the first human beings created in God's image and likeness. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain works the, the ground. He is a farmer of fruit and vegetables. And Abel is a rancher. He's got goats and he's got sheep. And then we read in Genesis 4 how both of these men bring a sacrifice to God. Cain brings, it says in Genesis 4, he brought some of his fruit and veggies. And he made a barbecue so that it could smell rice. Like when you cut the zucchini and you put it in the corn and you do some kind of like weird thing on the barbecue. Okay, He does that. God rejects it. Then Abel takes the firstborn of his flock. He sacrifices it. He barbecues some lamb. The fragrance goes up. says God accepted his sacrifice. Commentators say this is clearly a fact. It, it seems like God is against veggie barbecues. No. This, that's a test to see if you're awake. Okay, Some of you got that. It's a bad joke. No. Okay, If you're going to have a look at it, it says Cain brought some of his fruits and veggies. It wasn't his best. Okay, Whereas Abel brings his firstborn. It's indicative of it's his best. It's, it's his first little lamb that is born. This precious lamb, he raises it until it's the right age, but it's perfect. And it's a picture of God's grace that was going to come many years after that. In Jesus. But that's the first picture we get of first fruit givings. It's kind of like this principle of you give your very best. Second one we see in Genesis 14, it's tithes. It's a 10% of what you had and what you earned, your profits. Tithing happened in this first case in Genesis 14 verse 20 when Abraham gave a tenth of what he owned to a mysterious character called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which was Jerusalem, but he, he was a priest of God. And so what Abraham did, uh, not did, did, before the law, was he had this in, in his mind. Because it was something that they knew from Adam's time that we need to give to God what is God's. A tenth. But then you had another category, offerings and alms. That was very, very important to God. Offerings and alms are understood to mean those portions of givings that were given over and above your tithe. It's those kinds of givings that you give when you walk downtown Vancouver or downtown Squamish and there is a homeless person and you buy them something to eat or you give to them money or humanitarian organizations, or your local food banks. Those were the givings that were the, the general givings to the needy and to the poor. The term to give to the needy is, is kind of like a one term in the Greek. It's pronounced elie which means the following, to be merciful, to have pity, and to be giving alms, that word alms. 
In the original King James Version, it says, when you do your alms. Alms is like that over and above giving generously to those who are in need. Now, why do I place this emphasis or, or share these categories with you? Well, I believe Jesus knew that this kind of giving was very much connected with all the other givings. Listen to this in Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus is again speaking to the Pharisees on this topic of giving. He says, Woe to you, you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, meaning you who, who play the role of someone that you're really not. He says, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. When he is saying justice, mercy, and faithfulness, that relates to alms, that relates to givings, that relates to time, money, effort, clothing, visiting, all of those things that have to do with God's justice and mercy. But he says to the Pharisees, hey, listen, you guys, fantastic, you're giving a tenth, of what you earn, but you're neglecting the poor. You should have first focused on that, or not first, but you should have focused on those things that are weightier. It's more important than your tithe, but you shouldn't neglect the tithe. That is a given. That is what he is saying. And I think if I have to apply it to us, and I share this is because, like I've been there before, when I, I think I've uh, been, how, how old am I now? Okay, 39, so 33, so 16 years. It's been 16 years since I radically came to like real repentant faith in Jesus. But at the start, when Jean and I started, um, you know, attending and being part of a church community, oh man, it was hard for me to open my hand to say, God, I will give to you what is yours. Because you know why? I wanted to control. I wanted to say, hold on. I don't know about this budget that the church has. And, and you know what? I know of some missionaries in other parts of the world that could use this money differently. So I think I'm going to take my tithe. I'm rather going to give it to those missionaries. That's kind of like what I was thinking. What, what other people, what I've heard other people say also is that, hey, you know what? I really love this church. I've been coming here for five or ten years. But, you know, I'm still very much connected to my parents' church back in Saskatoon. Nothing about against Saskatoon. <laughs> okay, I just had to say that now. Okay. But I'm still, you know, that's the pastor that passed me from when I was four years old. I'm giving my tithe there. I'm giving my alms here now. That, that's how I do it. Or people say, well, I really give to charities above the church because I see charities doing you know, all these kinds of different work. And I'm not seeing that being done within the church. Or people just take the attitude of, well, I don't give anything. Like, listen, I, I don't have anything. I don't give anything at all. And, and you know, I'm, not, I'm sharing this as just like things that I have gone through and things that I've heard people say. And 
research has shown that this is just true. Like uh, research done in the United States shows that only 5% of people that go to church tithe. And if that is the stat with tithing, you know, I, I've looked at some other stats looking at, at alms and givings and not getting specific ones, but they're just saying that even now after the pandemic, people are just giving less and less. Now, why, why do I place an emphasis on this? The point is that Jesus says that if we have true righteousness, if we truly love and trust Him, if we have saving faith, listen, we will have a conviction about doing these weightier matters that are very important to Him. Doing alms, giving to the needy, and wanting to do what He has called us to do because it is giving to God. It is giving to Him first. Even though I do not control it, it's giving to God. Because when I do that, you know what the other person on the other side receiving it thinks and believes? God provided. God provided. Something that came to my mind now, I didn't prepare this, I grew up the youngest of five children, in a very dysfunctional home. My father was an alcoholic, a chain smoker, bipolar depressed. And my mother was a schizophrenic. And so from an early age, we struggled. There, was not, there, there were not many times where, where we had an abundance. But you know what? God provided for us through Arms through the kindness, through the mercy of family, aunts and uncles, and people in my life, friends, their parents. I had, I had when I was in elementary school, I was playing cricket. If you don't know what cricket is, go look up Squamish Cricket Club. Just an advertisement there. There we go. <laughs> but I played cricket, and then at that stage, um, my some of my teeth here, I don't know what, what, what do you call those teeth, but they came up here. That I looked like Dracula, right? They were coming up very, very badly. And I had, there was, a, there was a parent. Yeah, I was on the cricket team playing good cricket, and there was a parent who was a dentist. And he saw me, and like, he had pity on me. We didn't have, we didn't have money. We couldn't, I couldn't get braces. And he just one time, very quietly after a, a cricket game, he said, listen, Rudy, come see me in my practice. Let's see if we can do something about those teeth. Okay, can you help me? Okay. Now, um, that's an example of just how many people played a role in my life just through having open hands. Like, I could give you so many examples. And what is, what is that about? It's about giving glory to God. Those, those people that, you know, they, they didn't have it all together. Um, but God saw their hearts and it, and it played a role, I think, in the end in bringing me and, and being able to reflect back and just see the goodness of God through people He had placed in my life. Um, there is a, a verse in 2 Corinthians 9. You can skip the next slide. Just go to 2 Corinthians 9. It is this principle. The Apostle Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, it's a given. Paul is talking from the assumption that the, the church gets it. But listen, have open hands. God loves us, uh, loves it when we have open hands to bless those who are in need. Which leads us to my last observation that I want to highlight for us. The power of secret giving. He says this in verses 3 to 4 in Matthew 6. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. He's sharing this, it's, it's hyperbole, right? Like it's impossible to be doing good work with your right hand without the left hand knowing what you're doing. You're, it's part of the same body. But it's hyperbole and, and what it does is, and what one commentator wrote is, is that it impresses on the hearer's heart just how private one's giving must be. Whether it is time, space, food, clothing, or money. It is not for you to share. It's not for us to to share with people what we are doing. It is not for the giver to sound a trumpet, to advertise it. Because the glory is not about us. Listen to this. This is always... Uh, it, it hits so hard, Matthew 25... Jesus says this, but at the day of judgment, it's another passage that just says and speaks to my heart about this topic. It says, Then the king will say to those on the right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus is, is talking in parabolic uh, terms here to his ears about what it's going to be like at the end of the age. And he's talking about the fact that the Father is, is wanting to bless those who have true righteousness. And then Jesus says this, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And now my printer failed there. Which verse was I at there? Okay. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Next slide. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you, did to, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, so you did it to me. So you did it to me. This is important to God. Our alms, our giving. And I'm standing here as someone that is, uh, I will be the first one to say, my hands are not as open as I would love for them to be. Someone who's been blessed richly with so much. 
And I was thinking about this in conclusion. If I have to ask myself, how am I doing? If I have to ask ourselves, the Rock Church, how are we doing with this? I've got to tell you, I've been here at the Rock Church almost four years. And I have never experienced a church that has got open hands like this church by loving one another, caring for one another. Because if that was not the case, I've got to tell you, after this pandemic, there would not be a rock church, a gathering of people. Because during this time, even though it's been hard people, there's a core group of people here that get this. But as Glenn has reminded us so many times before, we can get tired, we can get weary of doing those arms and sacrificing. But God sees that and He wants us, I sense, we know this going forward, to have really generous, crazy open hands to this community. And it starts first here amongst us because Jesus said, by this they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you serve one another. And so I want to end off by saying this, that if it is that you're like me, that you struggle to open your hands to give. Think about how Jesus Christ opened his hands for you and had nails driven through those hands on the cross. We were singing about it this morning in that song, Grace Alone. Can't remember the exact lyrics. I think it said, you paid the price. You, know, you knew the price it would cost, but still you came. Jesus knew the price. He knew the giving it would take. The Father knew it, but still He came. Still He chose to die for the sins of humanity so that those who put their faith in Him and his open hands. And the arms that he had given. Listen, the, the power of the giver is that Jesus is the ultimate giver. Jesus gave the ultimate arms to the poor and the needy. You and me. By being nailed on the cross. And I want to say this. Jesus doesn't want your money. Because he, he owns it all anyways. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He, he doesn't want your time. He doesn't want your clothes. He doesn't want the food that, that could be needed somewhere else in the world. You know what? He came and He did that for you. To have you. He became the first fruits, the first sacrifice, so that we would... Say, okay, Jesus, I will open my hands to receive your forgiveness for my sins. And that is one of what I want to encourage you with here today. Maybe you have never done that. Maybe you have never truly received God's grace and mercy on your life. Today is the day that you could do that to open your hands, open your heart for His healing, for His forgiveness in His spirit. Because... When His Spirit changes your heart, that is when the giving comes and happens. Because it is a natural outflow then of wanting 
to be generous because of the generosity shown to you, the goodness and the kindness that was shown to you. 